But first, we start with the mayhem, murder, and the seething gang war on the streets of Metro Vancouver. Lower mainland, so many shootings in the last couple of weeks, hard to keep track. Bullets flying. Uh, yesterday at Willowbrook Mall, uh, we had an off-duty provincial prison guard gunned down uh, the other day. What is going on here? Have a listen to this extensive report here now from Global News reporter Romina Dea about the shots fired yesterday at Willowbrook Mall. It is shocking that an innocent member of the public was not hit at this very busy location given the time of day. The calls of gunshots first started coming into police around 3.30 in the afternoon. Currently right now, there is a colossal police presence here. They are gathering evidence. We were able to see them picking up uh, some bullet casings off the ground, at least two bullet holes uh, in the building there on the left-hand side between the sport check and the Toys R Us. As I mentioned, this happened around 3.30 in the afternoon. Multiple re- reports of gunshots. When police arrived, they found a male who had been shot. He was rushed to hospital. He was initially listed as a critical, life-threatening injuries and we're hearing right now that he is expected to survive now roughly 30 minutes after the shooting police receive more calls this time about a burning vehicle at a berry farm in aldergrove now who was going at each other here at this location we don't know police are saying that the shooting is not random we spoke to several witnesses with kids and families they were here when the chaos erupted I don't even remember what time it was. It was just chaos. But we were next in line for the cashier and an announcement came on um, overhead saying we've been made aware of an emergency situation. We're going to need you guys to head to the back of the store. And um, I just got this feeling come over me and I looked at the cashier and I said, is there a shooter outside? And she goes, yes, you need to go. So um, I grabbed my child and kind of pushed her in the direction and everybody was ducking down and you're hearing duck down, duck down. And it was just, it was very surreal. Okay. That report there from global news reporter, Romina Dea about the mayhem yesterday at Willowbrook mall, the shots firing between the sport check and the toys are us. And then you heard the report about a burning car later discovered. This is the modus operandi for these gangbangers. They do the targeted hit, then they burn the getaway vehicle. Let's check in with the official opposition now. Mike Morris is Liberal MLA. He's the official opposition justice critic. He's a former police officer. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Mike, thank you for coming on. Good morning, Mike. My what, pleasure. What do you think about what's going on here in Metro? Uh, you know, th- this is uh, uncalled for. It's uh, it's something that uh, government should have been on uh, a long time ago. You know, in today's modern world, it doesn't take long to consume all the available resources that the police have uh, in dealing with complex criminal investigations, particularly when it involves multiple suspects and venues and whatnot. So, you know, it, it's shameful that government hasn't put more resources into CFSU over the last uh, few years. Um, you know, this this uh, this didn't occur overnight. This has been occurring for a long time. The uh, the complexities associated to criminal investigations nowadays are very technical in nature. They swallow up a lot of resources. And when you have things like Jordan, which came down a number of years ago now, but it impacts uh, policing resources to a significant degree. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. why didn't they put uh, more resources into policing instead of hiring an extra yeah. 
200,000 public employees over the last uh, four years since they've been in government. Okay, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth quoted in the newspaper this morning saying he was shocked by this targeted killing, it appears, of of an off-duty provincial jail guard, prison guard. Uh, We tried to get the minister on the show this morning. He's not available. What do you think about the performance of this government? Like, you know, right now, there is a very concerted movement out there to defund the police, scale back the police. And I sometimes wonder about how, if this government right now is is secretly sympathetic to that idea like do we got a shortage of cops right now in bc we do we're we're resourced at at bare minimum levels uh, and below minimum levels in many areas here you know government took over there's 290,000 public employees now they've got around 500,000 public employees but no extra resources in policing they haven't taken that into consideration at all in fact I don't think they consider public safety as high a risk as other areas that we have in government, which is wrong. You know, when you see the, the types of things that are taking place right now, it shouldn't come as, as a shock uh, to uh, to Mike Farnworth. When I was the Solicitor General, I was briefed on a regular basis on what was going on with the guns and gang activity in the province here. And, uh, and I'm sure that uh, briefing has continued on to this day. So he should have had a heads up on this four or five years ago. Okay, speaking to liberal justice critic Mike Morris, what about keeping kids out of gangs? We got a gang war that's just raging here on the streets of Metro Vancouver. It's amazing that more innocent people have not been caught in the crossfire. And yet at the same time that's happening, we've got activist school boards in Metro Vancouver are removing police liaison officers from Metro high schools. Barely a peep out of this government after police are removed from schools. Your thoughts? Yeah, going in the wrong direction there because the police provide such a valuable resource in our school system with young people and with young groups uh, throughout the province and across the country, uh, matter of factly. But, uh, you know, they they provide some great mentorship that seems to be missing in some uh, some households uh, around the province here. So I think that's the wrong direction. And a lot of the things I hear are based on what's happening south of the border. We have a completely different constitution here in Canada and British Columbia. We have a completely different police force. The most highly trained police in the world are sitting here in British Columbia. And uh, I don't think the, uh, a lot of the public know that. They're, um, you know, common sense is not uh, being displayed here when they make decisions like that. Mike Morris, thank you for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about distracted driving tickets in B.C. now and the latest viral video of a Metro driver not happy to get a distracted driving ticket from the RCMP. It all started when the driver was stopped by police, issued a ticket for using her cell phone while driving. The driver disagreed with the ticket tried to argue that it was illegal for the cop to give her the ticket and then insisted she could use her phone behind the wheel as long as the phone was in hands-free mode. Okay, now to the video. The driver had this unpleasant exchange with the police officer. She filmed the whole thing on her phone and uploaded it to Facebook Live. And here's here's what it sounds like. Yeah, you know, it's not illegal to have a hands-free device going while I'm driving. You realize that, right? Tell the judge why you're on Facebook Live while driving. You know, you guys are disgusting human beings. You realize that? You're all disgusting. You're on live too, by the way. Enjoy your day. 
Okay. Okay. The cop says to her, tell the judge that you are going on Facebook Live while you were driving. All right. Let's discuss now with an expert. Kyla Lee is a lawyer at Acumen Law. She specializes in traffic law, and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Hi, Kyla. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me back. Okay. Thanks a lot for coming on. So what did you think of this this video? What, what's, uh, what jumped out at you here? Uh, well, I was just a little bit appalled at the complete lack of understanding of our distracted driving laws that this driver apparently has. You cannot use Facebook Live while you're driving as though it needs to be said, I guess. <laughs> what if your hands free, though? If you're hands-free, you're allowed to make hands-free calls. You're allowed to yeah. listen to music that's playing through the speakers of the vehicle. You're allowed to have your GPS hands-free. You're not allowed to hands-free broadcast a video to the world while you're driving. That's okay. not in the exception. Okay, so that's specifically in the act, is it, in the law? There are specific things that you can do while hands-free in the law. And if it's not one of those things, you're not permitted to do it. Okay, in another sequence in this video, Kyla... The driver at first appears to reject the ticket or suggest that somehow the ticket was illegal or that she didn't have to pay the fine because she said she is a sovereign citizen. This was another exchange in the video. She says, I'm a sovereign citizen, so therefore I, I reject the ticket. I've heard this come up before. What is the deal with that, this sovereign citizen argument? I mean, other people may have heard of it as free man on the land or natural person. It's essentially people who believe a pseudo-legal theory that unless you sign a contract with the government, you don't have to comply with any of the laws because you haven't agreed to be bound by the law in Canada. Right. Like I've heard this argument before. Has uh, something like that, I mean, it sounds kind of like crackpot kind of stuff, but it, has something like that ever been tested actually in court? Like that's not true, right? It, it's not true that, that yeah. you can get out of a ticket that way. And it has been tested in court, not just right. once, but thousands of times. These cases okay. are clogging up our justice system. Oh, really? Okay. So people continue to make that argument in court. People continue to make the argument, even though we had a 100-page judgment uh, written by an Alberta judge essentially dismissing every possible angle of the argument. It's been cited hundreds of times now. Um, people are more willing to believe something they read on the Internet than something that has been written by an actual judge. Yeah, right, because it's one of these things that kind of goes viral online, and then people look at it and say, well, this is an argument I could make that I, I this ticket doesn't apply to me, or I don't have to pay my income taxes, or the law doesn't apply to me because I'm a sovereign citizen and you know it's just not going to work if you get rung up in, in front of a judge and try to make that that argument okay so she makes that argument and then it's it sounds like it's not going to work so has that ever been tried in BC by the way on a distracted driving ticket it hasn't knowledge? to my knowledge been just tried in BC on a distracted driving ticket but it has on income tax cases on family law cases on all sorts of different things in, in that restaurant uh, in Kitsilano that's continuing to operate um, is using those types of arguments to advance uh, advance its cause of, of operation in the pandemic. Right, yes, I've heard this argument advanced by, by anti-maskers and, and that kind of thing. Okay, so let's talk a little bit in more detail, Kyla, about the distracted driving law in British Columbia and how these tickets work. So in the, the video that we just played, you heard the driver argue that uh, I'm allowed to drive, I'm allowed to use my phone while it's on hands-free. Right. Like, what is the status of the law when it relates to hands-free operation of your phone? 
So the law itself expressly prohibits using an electronic device while driving, and then there is exceptions. And the exceptions are the things that you are allowed to do, but they're they're an exhaustive list of things that you're allowed to do. So you're allowed to use it hands-free if you're making a call. You're allowed to use it hands-free if you're listening to music, as long as the music's played through the speakers of the vehicle. And you're allowed to use it hands-free uh, if you're listening to GPS directions, again, that are pre-programmed and played through the speakers of the vehicle. Right, but does it have to be on, like, Bluetooth mode? Because in order to go hands-free, you basically have to you have to touch the phone in order to put it into hands-free mode, right? And isn't it illegal to do that when you're in the car and behind the wheel? You're allowed one touch for the purposes of ending or accepting a call. In the case of music or GPS, the law expressly requires that it be programmed in advance of, of starting to drive. So turn your engine on and before you pull away, set your music playing or set your GPS directions, put the phone down and then start moving. Okay, so wait a sec. You're allowed one touch though? Like even while you're moving in traffic, I can touch my phone once to answer a call on hands-free mode? Is that correct? To end, accept, or initiate a call only. Really? Okay. Yes. All right. Um, could she potentially have an argument in that case? Like, you know, in the video, she's saying, I'm on hands-free. I'm operating the phone hands-free. Would she have an argument? Not if she's on Facebook Live, I guess. Yeah, if she's on yeah. Facebook Live, then she doesn't have an argument. But the difficulty yeah. is going to be for the officer, you know, proving that she was on uh, on Facebook Live, which, you know, I smirked when he said, tell that to the judge, because if she tells that to the judge, then she'll be essentially creating her own conviction through her testimony. Yeah. Right. How much is the fine for using your phone behind the wheel? Three, $368 plus four penalty points. Wow, that's that's a lot. And how common are these tickets right now? They're incredibly common. We see yeah. you know hundreds of them issued every month. Right. And in your practice, do you defend people who, are, who dispute these tickets? I've defended thousands of distracted driving tickets. Okay. And how does that usually go? Usually, can, I mean, can you beat the rap on this or... <laughs> You can. It's it's difficult, uh, but there are ways to uh, to successfully resolve them. Um, it usually comes down to the sort of reliability of the officer's observations, and you know sometimes the testimony of an individual. If it was a case of a mistake that the officer made in what they saw. Really? Okay. So, I guess it comes down to what uh, credibility of the officer. Like, what what be, what would be a typical argument you'd make on behalf of a client? What like the most common one? I mean, oftentimes it's somebody who's holding something else that looks like a cell phone. You know, oh. cell phones are small and square and black. So if you're picking up something else in your car and the officer sees that in your hand, usually what happens is they make the observation and then they don't stop you until later. So they only have a split second in many cases to see you with your phone and then issue the ticket later down the road. Oh, okay. So, you know, somebody, you could say like, well, no, I was holding uh, my wallet or something. Yeah, I've, I've seen people acquitted for holding their wallet or somebody had a Costco card once and the judge accepted that they were holding a Costco card. Um, really? You know, yeah. <laughs> really? So the judge, the judge will buy that. The judge will look at the cop and say, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe the police officer. I believe, I believe the defendant here. Well, one of the officers in that case had testified that he agreed it was possible that they were mistaken. Ah, ooh, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. what you want to hear as a defense lawyer. <laughs> Absolutely. <I'm sure. laughs> yeah, okay. Okay.
All right, welcome back as we continue dis- uh, discussing distracted driving law with my guest, Kyla Lee from Acumen Law, talking about the viral video there, the Metro driver who was not happy to get a distracted driving ticket from the RCMP. And we played a part of that video for you. Here's another uh, part of that video. A lot of people are watching online right now. Here, Here's where the driver tries to make a sovereign citizen defense against this ticket. Have a listen. Yeah, no, I don't accept that. I don't. I'm a sovereign citizen, and okay. I, and I refuse to contract with That's you. Fine. That's fine. So uh, you think you, you can't give me a ticket for having a hands-free device? Okay, a sovereign citizen. She does not have a contract with the police, Kyla. And then you hear the police officer in the background saying, "That's fine. Have a here's your ticket anyway. Have a good day." And these cops have probably heard this before. Oh, they've heard it hundreds of times, yeah. and I, I think it's also worth noting. <clears throat> She does have a contract. Her driver's license and her insurance ah. for her car are a contract. Right, right. Yeah, okay, really good point. Let's go to the phone lines now. Robbie in Vancouver. Hey, Robbie. Hey, how you doing? Good, go ahead. Yeah, I just called in regarding the distracted driving, and uh, I, I've been pulled over a couple of times before, and I usually just dis- dispute them. And when I did go to court last week, uh, the police officer did, did show up. I did two tickets that I got. The first one, he, the police officer didn't show up, and the second time, they did show up. So the first time, it was dropped, and the second one, so not guilty the first time. Second one, uh, I pleaded guilty, and she just reduced the fine. The judge was really great, actually, in my case. Okay, so why did you dispute the ticket? Because uh, the first one was I actually uh, died, like, I, 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 it was like hands free. Both of them were actually hands free. And I dropped my phone. Actually, this is an honest story. I dropped my phone, and as I was picking the phone up, I got pulled over. Oh, okay. Kyla, so, does he got Kyla? Does he got a case there? You drop your phone. I mean, if you just even if you just touch the phone, you're red handed, aren't you? Yep. As soon as you touch it, you are essentially guilty, uh, oh. unless it's that one touch. Um, and there yeah. is a case on somebody who dropped their phone, and the court rejected uh, their argument, saying. Nope, it doesn't matter. It's not a risk if you drop your phone. So unless there's an immediate danger to life, you can't pick it up. Okay, Robbie, thanks for the call. Tristan and Langley, hi. Tristan. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Good. Um, Yeah, I just have a story. I I find that whole sovereign citizen thing absurd. Like, uh, I had a story. Like, honestly, uh, I got pulled over at a red light when my GPS crashed on me, uh, and he saw me uh, messing around with it. And I ended up going to court, and before I even went into the courtroom, the, the cop showed up, and he pulled me aside, and I explained myself to him. And he's like, he's like, honestly, man, like, you seem like you learned your lesson on this, and I'm just going to throw out the case. So, like, I find it absurd when people go to the whole sovereign citizen argument, because half the time, you know, these cops are pretty reasonable. You can just talk them out, out of it, or, you know, you can, they can, they'll reduce the case for you, too, right? Or reduce the charge. Okay. Okay. Once you start making the sovereign citizen argument, I don't think you're going to get much sympathy from the police. But I don't know, Kyla. What do you think about that? Like, can you sweet talk a cop uh, in, uh, out of a ticket? I mean, sometimes it depends on the officer. A lot of officers, if they see you haven't had any other tickets in the meantime, and you know maybe you've done something, there's some courses you can take online for distracted driving, that type of thing. A lot of times they will take some sympathy on you and cut you a break in court. Okay. Let's take more of your calls here, John in Surrey. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was uh, working and I had an ear infection, so I'm rubbing my ear, and all of a sudden, a cop, a Delta cop, pulled me over while I was in Surrey, 
pulled me over, asked for my license registration, asked him what for. He goes, oh, you were on your phone. Um, I said, oh, no, that was just me rubbing my ear. He goes, no, no, I saw it. It was a black phone in your hand. And when I, when he said that, I go, my phone is over there on the other side. Oh. It's a completely red phone, not a black phone. And you're more than willing to see the call display on it. I haven't used my phone for about two hours now. And he basically said, no excuses. Uh, give me your license registration. I go, and once again, he goes, no, I saw the black phone. I go, my phone is completely red. <laughs> and I said, I don't even have any tickets or violations in the last 35 years. He goes, what did I tell you? No excuses. Give me wow. your license registration. Gee whiz. And, I, okay. and since, since then, I've called my company, and I've got a printout on my call display, too, on my call logs. So, like I said, it shows there I was not on my phone for two hours prior to when he pulled me over. Okay. Did you plead not guilty to the ticket? I, I pleaded not guilty. I put it in for... Um, a hearing whenever it comes in now. Okay. All right. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Kyla, what do you think of the, his case? I mean, I think it's a, a decent argument. I would recommend you get some uh, photos of your phone to show that it's uh, that it's red and medical records to confirm you were diagnosed with an ear infection as well to confirm your story. Oh, there you go. There's a free legal advice for you, John. Okay. <laughs> That's a freebie for you. Good luck with that. Chris on the line. Hey, Chris. Hey, I uh, just wanted to ask Kyla, um, are the police exempt from using their phone uh, in their vehicle while they're driving? Mm. And they're, if I'm if I'm pushing my um, my number through my dash because my phone is Bluetooth, is that illegal? So as far as the police, there are exceptions in the Motor Vehicle Act uh, for police and other emergency services to use electronic devices. Um, there's also exceptions for CB radios and a few other professions um, to let them use the devices. As far as dialing through your dash, that's a really complicated question because there have been tickets issued for it. Um, but there's been no court decisions that have determined whether or not that constitutes use of a hand uh, of a device. Um, and it's not clear in the law whether or not that is prohibited. So okay. I'd be interested to see a case on that. <laughs> Squeeze in one more. Jim in North Van, but you got to go quick. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Oh, hi, Mike. I was in a right-hand turn lane. The uh, constable was doing a lousy job of hiding behind a telephone pole. I looked at him. I smiled. He looked at me. I reached up. I scratched my head, and as I went around the corner, there was another guy there who pulled me over, and I said, hey, I was just looking at the guy, and... Uh, I uh, was on my phone. It scratched my head. I, I, we were smiling at each other, and he goes, no, no, you were on your phone. I said, I think you got the wrong car. And he goes, don't argue with me. You were on your phone, and 175 this was a long time ago, $175 ticket. Oh. I just I just decided to pay it. it okay, Jim, thank, thank you for the call, man. I appreciate it. We could take a ton more calls here on this, Kyla, but we're out of time. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. And here we go now with the great debate over Bill C-10. Is the Justin Trudeau government about to regulate your social media? Are they really going to do this? Is the government really going to monitor, maybe censor, your social media uploads to sites like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram? That's what the critics of this bill allege. Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives just breathing fire on this one, warning Canadians that the government is coming after your social media uploads. He calls it the Internet Censorship Bill. Now, the government, though, says, no, that's not what this is about. The government says they need to regulate the big web giants like Netflix, Amazon Prime, 
bring in a level playing field, make sure they play by the same rules as traditional Canadian media and broadcasters. That's what this is about. I'll tell you what, though, it is a debate that's raging in our country right now. Have a listen to this now. This is the minister responsible for the bill, Stephen Gilbeau, Minister of Heritage, on what this bill is about. One system for our traditional broadcasters and a separate system for online broadcasters simply doesn't work. This outdated regulatory framework is not only unfair for our Canadian businesses, it threatens Canadian jobs, and it undermines our ability to tell our own Canadian stories. Our government believes that everyone who benefits from the system should contribute to it fairly. Okay, Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbeau there talking about uh, this bill. Okay, let's discuss now. We've got a great panel for you, and we've got both sides of it. Julie DeBrusen on the line. She is a Liberal MP. She's the Parliamentary Secretary to the Heritage Minister. I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hi, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Also, Rachel Harder is on the line, who's a Conservative MP representing Lethbridge in the House of Commons. Rachel Harder, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you, Mike. Okay, let me go to Julie DeBrusen first from the, for the government. Julie, can you explain to, to people who are confused about this bill, and, and is the government really coming after Canadians and their social media uploads here? Uh, let me start by being clear on that point, just because I know that that's what the focus of the conversation is. No, the focus of this government entirely with this bill is to make sure that we are placing requirements on web giants and not at all about social media users. And in fact, the bill has an explicit exclusion that says that you, people who are uploading to social media are not covered by the Broadcasting Act. So just, just to be clear, this isn't about cat videos or TikTok videos at all. Okay, Rachel Harder, what do you say to that? Well, so Mr. Rubin is actually misleading Canadians because what she's saying is that individuals are protected from CRTC regulation. Correct. However, what she is not being forthright about is the fact that their content will be subject to CRTC regulation under this legislation if it is passed as it, is, as it stands. The reason for that is because the clause originally in the bill that protected your content and every other Canadian's content, that clause that protected them has been removed, which means, sure, you as an individual will not be regulated by the CRTC, but your content will be. Okay. Well, Julie, what do you say to that? I would say that that is absolutely incorrect. That what is going to be brought into the requirements is the web giants, the web giants that are in, are acting as broadcasters when they act as a broadcaster. So, for example, YouTube is the largest source of music for Canadians. That's where they they download the, where they get their music. If YouTube is acting as a broadcaster, just like a radio broadcaster then it would be subject to requirements. Uh, but that is not about the content that's being uh, put on social media by Canadians. And, and in fact, I'll go back to it. Oh. They, those posts have been specifically excluded. I, I also want to point out, we're only partway through this act right now as we're going through the amendments. And uh, as Ms. Harder would know, and, and the opposition parties, there are further amendments that are coming forward that are going to clarify even more how this works. 
we're only partway through the project right now. Okay, there's a lot of controversy, though, over this clause that was originally in the bill that did include some specific protections for individual uploaded content that was dropped from the bill. Why was that clause dropped from the bill? And I guess you're saying that there are other clauses still in there that do offer protections to individuals. Is that correct? Uh, it's correct that there's already one clause that's been passed that, that does, and there are amendments coming forward that are going to, to clarify even more what the requirements would be for the platforms, the web giants. But, but it's really about the fact that when you're looking at a company, a social media company, I'm going to use YouTube as an example, um, if they're acting as a broadcaster, then they should be required to contribute to funding, you know, Canadian content, just like our radio broadcasters and our television broadcasters. This is about making sure that we're properly funding Canadian content, our stories, our movies, our our music. And and that's what this is about. Okay, Conservative MP Rachel Harder, what do you say to that? As soon as the clause that offered Canadians protection for the content they post within what is becoming our new public square, as soon as that clause was removed, this speech, or sorry, this, this, this legislation became about attacking individual rights and freedoms as outlined under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms of this country. Now, what the, what, what the member is talking about right now in terms of bringing in an amendment to this legislation in order to, quote-unquote, bring further clarification, I find that interesting because the minister, Minister Gabot, has buckled down time and time and time again. And even, even you know, Mr. Bruzen has buckled down on this at committee um, in saying, no, 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 there's no need for change. There's no need for change. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Look over there. Look over there. Look, at the end of the day, if there's, if there's nothing to be changed here, if everything's fine, then why bring the amendments? Clearly, there is an issue here. Clearly, Canadians are rightly concerned. Clearly, Canadians, you know, have had a voice on this and their voice is now being heard. And I'm glad to hear that the minister is looking at bringing an amendment forward. Um, but at the end of the day, let's call this out for what it is. It is an attack on people's freedoms if it gets passed the way that it currently is. What, what kind what? of, what, Rachel Harder, let me ask you this. What kind of content that Canadians typically upload to social media right now? Let's say Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Are you saying that you think the government is going to step in here and, and monitor and censor what Canadians upload to these sites? Is that your concern? Like maybe if, if people put political opinions on there the government disagrees with, they could, they could cancel it or censor it. Is that what you're worried about? Or I, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about it without foundation. You know. I mean, yeah. just look at this last weekend. The minister was asked numerous questions in the media, and um, and numerous questions by members of parliament, and numerous questions by Canadians. And every time there was an opposing voice or a question asked or a concern that was raised, he labeled those individuals as quote unquote extremists. If the minister himself cannot allow for dissension, cannot entertain questions, cannot give permission for concerns to be raised without taking offense and calling those people extremists. Can you imagine what that same minister or that same government would do to Canadians when they have the ability to, uh, to censor what is posted on their social media pages? Okay, Liberal MP Julie DeBrusen, what do you say to that? 
the Broadcasting Act does not have anything to do with censoring what political opinions are expressed. In fact, it's the very same act that regulates or and puts requirements on radio like we are now and on television. It's it's not about censorship. And, and I find that that is misleading to, to actually say that it is. That that's not what this bill is about, and it is it is patently false to start saying that it's about political censorship. It is about the requirements on broadcasters, on the web giants when they're acting as broadcasters, as to their contributions towards funding Canadian content. Rules about discoverability. It is not about political censorship and. Again, I don't think that we have been anything other than crystal clear on that point. But it it is simply not what the Broadcasting Act is about. And to say that it is, that is misleading. Okay, and uh, Liberal MP uh, Julie DeBruyne has has said earlier in our conversation here, Rachel Harder, that we can, I guess Canadians can anticipate some amendments to this bill to make this absolutely clear that this won't apply to individuals' content uploaded to popular social media platforms. Are, are you buying that? Like, would that reassure you if there was a very clear exemption made for that in the in the law? Well, it's interesting because her statement was just a moment ago. She said they have been absolutely crystal clear. But then simultaneously she's saying, but don't worry, we'll bring further amendments in order to make it further clear. Which one is it? Is it already crystal clear and Canadians have nothing to be concerned about? Or are, are Canadians actually rightly concerned? And, you know, should their voices therefore be given merit and therefore greater protections are required? You can't have it both ways. Either it's already good to go or amendments are needed. Which is it? Okay, Julie DeBrusen, what do you say to that? Well, it is clear that the Broadcasting Act does not have anything to do with political censorship and censorship of opinions. Like I mentioned, it's the very same act that governs our radio and television today, including call-in shows and all the rest. But the part about how the, the requirements will work for web giants who are social media companies acting as broadcasters, there are further pieces that have to come together on that piece. That's about the obligations that will be placed on the platforms. That part is going to be clearer as we go through with the amendments. Right. And 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 I will say that uh, Ms. Harder, she's just joined our committee for the past couple of meetings. But as all of the members who've been on our committee know, um, it, the amendments were put together as a package and put forward. We're just going through them in order. And if the the conservatives are happy to let us go ahead and continue with our clause-by-clause study, then we will have the whole amended bill for everyone to take a look at. And that would be the time when we can take a look and say, okay, now you you see exactly what the obligations are that we're going to be placed on the web giants. But it's still clear that it is not about political censorship. You you mentioned that it is about, a couple of times you mentioned Canadian content rules. So would this bill require like Netflix, YouTube, to have minimum Canadian content standards, is that right? Um, well, it's about it's about the, the primary piece is about funding Canadian content. So putting mm-hmm. putting funds towards the Canadian Media Fund, for example, 
Canada Music Fund. It's it's about it's about making sure that if they're profiting from from the the cultural system in our country, that they're also contributing in into all of the jobs that it creates right across our country. Okay, Rachel Harder, what do you say to that? We just got a couple of minutes left here. Go ahead. I would first off say, like, look, she's, you know, one of the things that Mr. Bruton is saying is that the obligation is placed on the platforms. Well, where do those platforms get their content? Facebook doesn't generate its own content. Facebook's content is from you, me, other Canadians. And so when the Liberal government puts obligations on those platforms, when they impose their values on those platforms, they are thereby imposing their values and their expectations on us as Canadians, because we are the ones that generate the content that go on those platforms. Okay. What, what is happening here is, is, is absolutely alarming. The, the government is trying to be sneaky. They're being disingenuous. They got caught, and now they're trying to save face. Okay, Julie DeBruce, I know you're dying to respond to that, but um, we'll just have to leave it there. I want to thank you both for a really good conversation on this topic. We continue to watch this bill very closely, and thank you to both of you for being on the show today. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks so much, Mike. Oh, oh. Hey, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the confusion and the criticism about the vaccine advice being given to Canadians now. For many weeks, Canadians have been told, do not do vaccine shopping. Do not wait for your preferred vaccine. Take the first vaccine that is offered to you. Despite that, yesterday, we saw Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunizations say that the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are the preferred vaccines in Canada. And maybe you should wait to get that vaccine instead of taking another one. Have a listen to this here now. This is Dr. Shelley Deeks, who was the vice chair of this committee. Have a listen. What we've said all along is that the mRNA vaccines are the preferred vaccine. Individuals need to... Um, have an informed choice to be vaccinated with the first vaccine that's available or to wait for an mRNA vaccine. Okay, maybe you should wait for a different vaccine is what she had to say. This is a lot different from a lot of what a lot of Canadians have been told up to now. Let's discuss now with my guest, Michelle Rempel-Garner, Conservative MP. She is the vice chair of the Federal Health Committee, the official opposition health critic. And I'm pleased to welcome her back to the show. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, what do you make of this advice that came out yesterday from this committee? Well, I'm confused. And I think there's a lot of Canadians who are too. And that's really not where we need to be right now. Uh, you know, the federal government has an obligation to be providing very clear advice on vaccines, given the fact that we're, you know, we're over a year into lockdown. Many people cannot, uh, you know, afford to continue uh, on this path. And, and frankly, I also think the notion that, you know, that some people can afford to wait for a, quote, preferred vaccine while others can't, it's elitist. And it, yeah, right. I think, really underscores the inequity in some of our COVID response. So it's very concerning, and it's something that we're going to continue to press the government on to fix. Like, this communication is a disaster. Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting point, too, about the, the elitists that you mentioned there, because for people who are able to maybe work from home or shelter at home, I don't know, they might be wealthy people who... who don't have to worry about uh, getting COVID if, they, if they're not a frontline worker, for example. So suddenly they're being told it's okay for you to wait to get the better vaccine. 
That's right? exactly what they said yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Like, and you know, when you think about that, the fact that there are people on the front lines who are delivering those other people their groceries or working in schools, like, 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 like the notion of a preferred vaccine or a tiered status of vaccine at a, in a time where everybody needs to get vaccinated. Frankly, we're at the point where frontline workers, we have to be talking about the fact that they are putting themselves at risk. I, I just, it's um, maddening. It's frightening. It shows, I think, how out of touch uh, some of our policymakers are. And it needs to be immediately rectified by the health minister because the buck stops with her. Mm. Okay, speaking to Conservative MP Michelle Rempel-Garner. All right, uh, speaking of the health minister, Patty Haidu, you had an exchange with her yesterday. Let's listen to a short sequence of that. So here it is, you uh, challenging uh, the health minister on this point. So what does Health Canada advise? This is a lot different from what we've been hearing. Taking the first vaccine offered or wait, if you can, for an mRNA vaccine? If any Canadian is questioning whether a vaccine is right for them, the best place to get information is from their healthcare professional. Okay, I'm not sure that cleared it up, really. I mean, suddenly now you should go you should go talk to your healthcare professional about this. Your thoughts more elitism, right? Like how many people listening to your show right now don't have access to a family doctor? Right. And yeah. have to go to walk in clinics. And I'm sure that if any doctor is listening to this right now, they'd be like, um, I think that's your job, federal government. I'm a little busy right now dealing with the pandemic. It just um, this is not the first time that lack of clarity has happened. Like a week ago, this happened with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Like they yesterday's advice was in the context of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. They changed the age range um, like, you know, multiple times. And all of this. I think has really sown a lot of confusion into the Canadian public when all that's needed is very clear advice. Yeah. This is safe. Go get it or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very troubling, especially when you consider that this is a very prominent advisory committee of independent scientists, we're told. And, and yet it wasn't like this was some sort of off the cuff remark by an official that was blurted out or something. It seemed like, it seemed very pre-scripted and planned that this is the message that they deliberately wanted to give out to Canadians, which seems significantly different from what we've been told for weeks, that you should not right. do this vaccine shopping. Don't wait. Get the first one that's offered to you. And anybody <clears throat> suggesting that, like, the federal government or the Minister of Health didn't know about this press conference, it, it's just complete baloney. Um, the reality is that this panel is appointed by the federal government and it reports into an arm of the health minister's portfolio. It was a scripted pre-planned press conference right. uh, that the full government, that the government knew full well about how is this allowed to happen? Like, yeah. like, like scientific advice is, is, is of course we welcome that. And nasty shouldn't feel like they have to go to the media to get their advice out there. The, the, the federal government should be, you know, providing clear and concise information to Canadians. And then, you know, for the health, Prime Minister's out today, couldn't say, take the first vaccine you're offered. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dumpster fire, and they need to get on top of it because lives are at stake. And you know what? Most Canadians can't afford to wait for their, quote, preferred vaccine. Okay, here in British Columbia, our own provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, has been pretty consistent that you should get the first vaccine that you are offered. And despite this kind of contradictory advice coming from the, the, the national level, she was kind of sticking to her original messaging here yesterday. So let me play that for you. Here's uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry here yesterday. 
states with the amount of transmission we are seeing in this province and in this country, then the, the best advice that I can give and that we, uh, my colleagues across the country give is the first vaccine that you have uh, access to is the one that you should get. Yeah, okay. So she means she's been kind of consistent that the first one that you're offered is the one that you should you should take. I mean, did the conservatives agree with that? Should that be the standard in the country here? Well, absolutely. I mean, we yeah. need to be ensuring that uh, people are getting vaccinated. However, the federal government, if they have concerns about this vaccine, then they need to make that clear, right? I mean, like I am a I'm a public I'm a public servant. I'm an economist by training. My job is to ask these questions. The federal government, with all of these experts, job to provide the answers. And yesterday, there was no clarity on the answer. So, you know, for Dr. Henry. She's dealing with the reality of, you know, a spike in COVID cases, what that means for the for frontline health workers, access to health care. Of course, she wants everybody to be taking, uh, you know, advantage of tools that are available to stop the spread, vaccines being the most primary one that we have. I, so so I, it's not helpful to her, to anybody, to, to have conflicting advice on this. You yeah. know, because again, like, we need clarity. I can tell you what I you know, like I'd be like, what Dr. Henry says sounds perfectly reasonable for, for me. But yeah. like for the federal government to have a competing set of advice, it, that serves no one. And again, I just want to reemphasize how classist that is. Nobody oh. can wait at this point. Okay, let me play one more clip here for you. Here's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau commenting on this this morning, uh, I guess doing a little damage control here. Here's Trudeau. Remember, all vaccines in Canada have been approved by Health Canada. Our advice to provinces and territories and to Canadians has not changed. Make sure you get your shot as soon as it's your turn. Already we're seeing how vaccines, along with public health measures, keep people safe. Hey, Michelle Rempel-Garner, your thoughts there? Well, you know, what was noted by a lot of reporters was, for example, one reporter noted that when asked if somebody somebody who has an appointment for an AstraZeneca vaccine today, what should they do? He didn't, right. he didn't answer that. And so you know, today they had an opportunity, him and Dr. Teresa Tam to come out and say exactly what Dr. Henry said. Yeah. The best vaccine is the first one offering offered to you. They didn't do that. And they've got to get their act together on this because lives are on the line. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Once again, I appreciate it. Thank you.